of Can You Dig It, a podcast by the Silver Screen and Roll Network. One of your hosts, as always, Jacob Rood, and joining me, as always, Hani Amadian. Big news uh, this weekend. The Lakers deliver the knockout punch to the Warriors on Sunday night to come away with a 124-121 win, their first preseason win since December of 2020. Hani, how did you celebrate the win? I poured a lot of champagne over myself. Uh, <laughs> and then I held a press conference and I said that I felt embarrassed for the Warriors families. <laughs> exactly. I'm glad you got that uh, not so subtle reference. It was a fun game. Definitely the most fun game of the preseason for the Lakers so far, which isn't saying much uh, because most of their games have been really ugly second halves. Probably not a coincidence that the Lakers played their rotation players much deeper into this game than they have in any other game. Uh, that's despite obviously not having LeBron, um, Russ, Patrick Beverly. So we're going to talk about that game, obviously, as well. Uh, this is the first time anybody on the network is potting since Rob Polinka's extension. So we're going to talk about that in the second half of the episode, too. Let's, let's jump into this game first. The biggest takeaway, I think, pretty easily is how great Anthony Davis looked. He finishes with 28 points, 9 of 18 shooting from the field, 2 of 4 shooting from 3, uh, 8 of 8 shooting from the free throw line. I it's It might be a little bit of an exaggeration, but to me, and I don't know what you think, this looked a lot like 2019-20 Anthony Davis. Yeah, it looked like a very aggressive, confident, and healthy Anthony Davis. Um, I think it was really notable that he played so well considering he just missed a couple of games with back tightness. Obviously, it seems like it was pretty minor and they were just being cautious with it, but it's still something that that would conceivably affect him. Uh, You know, he's still shaking off the rust of a season where he sort of barely played because of injuries. And he's playing in this game specifically with a bunch of dudes that he's never played with before this October. Yeah. Uh, really, like, the only guys on the team that he's played any close to NBA minutes with are Austin Reeves, preseason Kendrick Nunn, and I guess a few games of Wendy and Gabriel probably. I'm not even sure if they played together last year. I don't know. Um, they did very briefly at the end of the season, but it was that might be the guy he's played with the most otherwise. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I thought I thought it was really notable how he was getting his buckets. He, he the, the jumper was working, obviously, but he was also kind of using that to get to the rim. Um, so it was a really impressive all around showing. I don't think he really showed uh, as much as he usually would defensively, uh, other than one crazy block where you just smack the hell out of the ball and Stu was nitpicking about uh not just tapping it down so Austin Reeves could grab it um but yeah other than that uh, you know the the offensive part of the game I think was really significant and you know there's a lot of people that believe the Lakers uh at their peak or you know the the, the Lakers ceiling would be more of um dependent on AD finally uh becoming the best player on the team as they've said the last like three years that that he's been here um 
and you could argue at, at times during his tenure he has been the best player. But if if this like offensive sort of output is is legit and something that you know stays consistent all season long, then he is the best player on the team, and that's a pretty significant um, you know uh, development for the Lakers. So here's a stat for you. There's a number of like stats I think you could look at from this game to point to is like, oh, that looks like the old AD. I think a lot of people would say the back, the pair of threes he knocked down, which is uh, encouraging uh, the free throws. Eight free throw attempts is notable. Uh, I looked this up uh, before the pod. So in the 2019-20 season, he played 62 games. In 36 of them, he had at least eight free throw attempts. Now, my question to you, in the twenty in the last two seasons, uh, do you think he's had over or under combined 36 games with eight or more free throw attempts? Uh, it feels like he's played fewer than 36 games, so I'll go under. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he has played. I didn't look up that. He's played more than that. He's played 76 games the last two years. It is still under. Uh, he had 16 uh, two years ago, or excuse me, 16 last year, uh, and then much fewer than that, nine two years ago. He's only had 25 games in the last two seasons with eight or more free throw attempts. So that is, uh, to me, one of the biggest signs of him looking like that bubble season. Uh, AD is his aggressiveness, getting to the line, making the free throws as well. That's encouraging uh, because – there's a lot of things you can point at and say, ah, oh, he doesn't look like AD because of this. To me, it was a lot of the things I, I just see his aggressiveness and getting to the line is one of the biggest things, not settling for those jumpers. He was still knocking them down on Sunday and uh, knocked down some three pointers, knocked down some long twos. Um, that's always encouraging, but getting to the rim, drawing those fouls, getting to the line and converting the free throws all are, are really encouraging signs. He's only played, as you said, he didn't play the back-to-back last week. Uh, he's played very few minutes. I think it's right around 30 in total. Um, maybe a little bit more than that, but I thought he's looked good all preseason. I'm encouraged. Uh, hopefully the, the last couple of games here, we get some extended run with him, LeBron and Russ now to kind of go into the season on a, on a good note. And with some chemistry continuing to be built, because they don't have any still, like there's not much of it. So big positives from him. Yeah, I think uh, to your point, we've had moments this preseason of AD dominating, uh, LeBron dominating, and even Russ has had some really nice moments. But we haven't really had them kind of all playing at the same time and, and really performing. So. Getting that in the next couple of preseason games, I think, would be really nice and a, and a good confidence boost going into into the regular season. Because really, the thing with this team is, um, and and with AD specifically, is that um, obviously health health is the biggest thing. But after that, it's sort of like their confidence and, and aggressiveness and and being comfortable with each other. And it really never felt like they got to that point last year. For a variety of reasons, um, but if they're you know at least AD and LeBron are, are starting out the year, um, kind of in that mode that they were in the 2019 season, then then that's a really positive um, positive sign for for the season. I think we joked about this. Uh, this preseason has had much better vibes than than last preseason. 
uh, largely because LeBron and AD, like you said, have had those stretches. LeBron in the game against the Suns, AD tonight and in his first game, honestly. Um, I think one of the other biggest positives, not just tonight, but for the preseason as a whole, has been the play of Kendrick Nunn and Austin Reeves in different kinds of ways, obviously. Kendrick Nunn has looked like the kind of secondary ball handler and more probably more importantly, scorer that the Lakers uh, needed last season in that guard position. On Sunday, 21 points, 7 assists, 4 rebounds, 8 of 13 shooting, 4 of 7 from the three-point line. We'll talk about him first before we dive into Austin Reeves. What have you thought about him this preseason so far? Uh, I've been really, really impressed with Kendrick Nunn. He's not a guy that I um, really considered uh, super significant to the Lakers' success. I think he was always sort of like this X-factor. We don't really know what he's going to be. Um, and this was even before his injury last year. I, I, I kind of felt that way. I was like, you know, he, he has some some valuable skill sets. He might be able to contribute some off the bench, but he's not really a guy that I look at as like he's going to be a, a, a major um, – part of the scene, but the way he's playing right now is, is completely changing my mind. Um, and there's a few reasons for that one, obviously like the, the actual production is, is amazing. Um, you know, he's racking up points, racking up assists, but the way he's doing it, I think is really significant. Uh, I can't think of the last, uh, guard that the Lakers had that, that was as good as Kendrick Nunn coming off a of screen and pulling up for threes like genuinely do not, I don't know, maybe like Kobe and Derek Fisher were the last like decent ones at that Steve Nash, I guess. D'Angelo maybe in moments. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And uh, on top of that, I don't know the last uh, Lakers guard that was as good both inside and outside of the arc um, uh, as he has been uh, this preseason. Um, He's a guy that, that I think is going to really affect how defenses play the Lakers if he is playing alongside sort of the big, big two or three, um, by just being able to pull, you know, centers up because they have to guard him at the three point line or getting into the paint and, and kind of dishing out assists there or, or getting, uh, you know, fouls and, and, and layups. Um, I had the thought of like, how valuable is it for the Lakers that, you know, if they're starting two bigs on the, and Kendrick Nunn next to like LeBron and Russ, um, Kendrick Nunn having a pick and roll with the other big and then swinging the ball out and and having LeBron and AD go against like three defenders on the other side of the floor. That's that, that is a very exciting uh, option to me. Um, And that's not really like even a set play. It's just kind of, I think the flow of the basketball is going to be a lot easier having somebody like Kendrick Nunn that can just affect how defenses play you. My mind actually went in a different way and both are equally interesting is that, just thinking of a two-man game with LeBron, Malik Monk did it so well last season. There's a certain level of feel. The way it worked last season and the way it kind of typically works is whatever player screening for LeBron, if you have a player like Nunn who is as good off uh, screens as a shooter, you can still flip that. And either way, it, it can lead – It'll you would think it would lead to switches more defensively because they can't give Nunn the space and – there you have your mismatch with LeBron. So some of those maybe late game possessions where he's always seeking out mismatches immediately jumps out as none being the type of guy that can help exploit those similar to 
Monk or Caruso or KCP did it a lot, uh, whoever it might have been. So that was where my mind went. Both are, are equally interesting and equally dangerous because uh, this is a guy and I talked to I was on uh, the podcast with Raj um, Wednesday after that game. I don't even think this is the guy that the Lakers like thought they were getting when they signed him. Like this is a better version. He's definitely better than he was last preseason. Now we're talking very, very small sample sizes here and in, in exhibition games, but he's looked better. Uh, he talked in the, the preseason or excuse me, in the off season about feeling a hundred percent. He's looked every bit of a hundred percent. So really encouraging from him and, and Austin Reeves as well, who, is doing it in a different way. He had that wild game last week where he almost had a five by five. Uh, on Sunday, he has seven points, four rebounds, four assists, a steal, and a block in 26 minutes. Again, two guys who this is a crowded backcourt, and these two guys I think have maybe shown out the most through the first handful of preseason games. Yeah, and that's without seeing like a guy like Dennis Schroeder is going to get big, big minutes probably. Um, and Patrick Beverly hasn't played a whole lot either. So, um, yeah, the, those two guys are definitely gunning for starting positions. Um, and I think both of them are really valuable in that they're uh, not only producing, but they're really versatile. Um, I think like the Kendrick Nunn thing that we just talked about, you know, he's, he's a guy that can either uh, play as a primary ball, ma- uh, ball handler with LeBron uh, he can set screens for him. He can play off the ball as a shooter or as a you know a guy that can be a secondary playmaker. Or when LeBron's sitting, he can be the guy that's running pick and rolls with AD. Um, Austin probably a little bit more limited offensively, but he uh, he is looking really really good at handling the ball, making plays. I've been super impressed with his passing all preseason. It's been amazing. Um, and tonight he looked really good running pick and rolls multiple times of just kind of like snaking uh, through the pick and rolls, being really patient um, and either passing out of them or hitting jumpers. He had one where um, he put Andrew Wiggins in jail, held him up and then finished through contact and got an and one. And I was like, damn, that is just like really, really impressive play uh, for a guy that's only in his second year in the NBA. Um, So, you know, I I think with him again, it's kind of like a confidence thing. Um, And, we, I, I don't think we've really seen how much his three-point shot has developed in this preseason, so I'm really curious about that because that obviously is an important aspect in, in playing alongside LeBron and playing really big minutes on this team since and since that is a pretty limited um, skill set, I, I, I would say, still on the team, unless Matty Ice makes the final roster. He, he told him to talk about shooting it. Good Lord. He played 20 minutes and shot nine times and made six of them, and all of them were threes. He was flinging it. Um, it it's, it's a really interesting situation with the Lakers' backcourt because, as you said, Dennis Schroeder, he only just got to L.A. this weekend, finally has his visa issues sorted out. Uh, he should be playing in the final two preseason games, I would assume. Uh, he's going to be a part of this rotation. We've mentioned Reeves, um, we've mentioned Kendrick Nunn, Patrick Beverly, Lonnie Walker played well tonight. We'll talk about him in a bit. Um, you're very quickly having a growing list of guards who are playing well. Suddenly there's a little bit more pressure on Russ to contribute 
because there's a lot more wiggle room now uh, where there might not have been last season. They needed a certain level of ball handling that Russ was able to to give and guard play that might not have been there as much last season. This season, there's a host of guards who could step up in, in different roles. And, I mean, do you think this changes how the Lakers and Darvin Ham kind of approach the Russell Westbrook situation at all? Um, I think it could in a, in a few different ways. Uh, one of them, you know, you talk about like the motivation factor. Hopefully that, that is something that motivates Russ and he comes out and, and really improves his play. Who knows? Um, but if not, now they, the option of sending him home, if, if a trade doesn't materialize and if, you know, the vibes are not good again, that's an option that before I, I kind of looked at it as like, that doesn't really make any sense because they're not going to go anywhere if he's not performing at all. Um, but if these guys really kind of stay consistent and play, and, you know, you got four, five, six cards that, that can play pretty decent minutes and, and perform in a, a variety of ways, then that's an option, I think. I think um, You know, depending on how the season goes, it's, it's not as scary of a thought of, well, if they send Russ home, then, then that just shows that they're doomed. Um, the other aspect of this uh, that – you know, I, I've talked to you about before, and I am possibly going to write about it hopefully this week, um, is that I think it makes me feel a lot more confident. Um, and we talked about this last week as well, that uh, it makes me feel a lot more confident about this potential Indiana trade, making the Lakers a really, really good team. Um, beforehand, you know, I, I think... We, we discussed it last week, and I said I, I can kind of see it going either way of whether you think uh, trading the two picks is, is worth getting Miles Turner and Buddy Heald because who knows if, if you become a contender. Uh, I think the Kendrick Nunn and Austin Reeves specifically, their development, and then the, the fact that I, I know what to expect from Dennis Schroeder, I know what to expect from Patrick Beverly, and then Lonnie Walker is sort of like an X factor that may or may not be good. Um, that makes me feel like if you get two more really good players in, in Buddy Heald and Miles Turner, but you know, Buddy I think is, is a very specific uh, skill set that, that he brings um, and not much else. Miles Turner is a guy that can really support AD and I think is both insurance for him if, if he's hurt and also he can play next to him. Um, I, I'm feeling a lot more confident that if that trade materializes, the Lakers are a legitimate contender. Um, and that feels kind of insane because last week when we were talking about this, I was like, yeah, I'm not really excited about this Lakers season. I don't think they're going to do anything, but that, that, that is a, a potential roster change alongside some of the developments that we've seen over this week. And I fully understand that I'm very much overreacting to like <laughs> pre exhibition games, but, um, I do kind of believe it. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the things we've seen are translatable. They've come against like the first team or the the starters, the rotation, whatever you want to phrase it, uh, opponents. Um, I, I mean, I, I've kind of had to check myself a little bit as well, but at the same time, it's very encouraging, especially uh, compared to the last time we saw the Lakers playing basketball, um, at least in uh, the meaningful games that they needed to win the the horrible basketball they kept playing uh this is a nice change of pace certainly 
yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this changes the Westbrook dynamic because I was in the same boat that I just didn't think the Lakers were talented enough to send Westbrook home. We'll see when the games matter, uh, but there's a lot of guys that are playing well in that backcourt. Pressure's on a little bit for Russ to to become one of those guys, and all those guys we mentioned are also, I think all of them are better fits as well than Russ. So uh, pressure is really, I think, increasing on him to play well, and the leash might be getting shorter as a result. One of those guys I alluded to, Lonnie Walker, who made his debut last week on Wednesday. Um, he played with, he started on Sunday, played with the rotation guys on Sunday. Another guy who looked good, 5 of 12 shooting, but 3 of 6 from 3, 14 points, 4 assists as well. Uh, the Lakers had 24 assists Um I think they've moved the ball well all preseason, and that's something that Alex Regla wrote about um, on on the site on Sunday. But uh, Lonnie Walker, four assists, 14 points. Uh, again, small sample size of a game, two games now, but what have you liked from him uh, f- through those two games? Uh, so for full disclosure that I did not watch the previous game, but this one, That's fine. Uh, that was a very ugly game. I don't know that I would have, if I did not have to write the recap, full disclosure. Um, yeah. So uh, as somebody who uh, did not know a whole lot about Lonnie Walker's game, uh, before he signed with the Lakers or before seeing him really for the first time for extended minutes tonight, um, yeah, I was, I was pretty impressed. Um, I, I definitely did not uh, love that signing at the time just because of sort of the opportunity cost of a few other guys that seemed to be available for the same amount of money. Um, but uh, I think the thing that stuck out to me tonight is that he's uh, a lot better at creating his own shot than I thought he was um, and, and sort of, you know, getting to getting to the rim and, and – you know, whether it's kicking out and, and, and getting some assists or, you know, uh, getting to the rim and, and, and getting some layups or, or some pull-up jumpers, um, I was pretty impressed with all of that. So I don't really know what to expect from him still. Uh, it, I, I don't really know how to explain it, but it didn't feel like as, as, a, as significant or as, um, like, yes, I believe in this uh, as I as I did about Kendrick Nunn and Austin Reeves, maybe because I've, I've seen them play a little bit more previously. Um, but it's definitely a, a nice sign. And it's, you know, it's it's good that if Lonnie Walker is your fifth or sixth uh, guard in the rotation and he's playing as, as well as he did tonight, then that's really good. Uh, a really good thing for the Lakers, especially considering their injury was last season and, and sort of needing that depth um, and having those options on the bench. So uh, yeah, I was definitely impressed by him. You would hope that the guy you signed for your only mid-level exception you had is more than a fifth or sixth guard, but nonetheless, it's still, uh, he has good depth and yeah, it's, it'll be interesting to see what type of role he has in these final couple games. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he got a start with how much when LeBron and Russ and AD, the very limited time they've played, they've changed the starting lineup. I wouldn't be surprised if he got a run with them, maybe this next game, uh, but one of those final couple games. And just to see what he's like with those 
starters because yeah, he is he's an interesting um player who uh, to me it feels like he's going to have to prove it a lot more than a couple preseason games cuz he did shoot 31% from 3 last year and 40% from the field. So I can I feel like it's fair to be a little more hesitant about his shooting uh, until he can kind of prove it some more. So that that's kind of where I land. We'll see. I again, I w- I would expect at the very least he'll get more minutes next to LeBron and AD because it seems like Darvin Ham's really trying to feel out as much as he can who the best guys to play alongside them are. The last person specifically I wanted to mention, just because I think he's had a really strong preseason. I tweeted this during the game. Coming into the preseason, I thought winning Gabriel's spot on the roster was very much up in the air, uh, particularly because he has a non-guaranteed contract. From the first game, I thought he has been really, really good, played with the high level of energy you would expect from him. Um, His minutes have have wavered as they've played AD some, uh, as Thomas Bryant and Damian Jones have gotten more minutes, but I still think he's been productive to the point that I would expect him to be on this roster as probably a, a 14th man or 15th man. But for now, I think he's pretty much secured his spot on the roster. Um, what have you thought about his preseason? Yeah, uh, I wasn't a huge fan of Wendy and Gabriel last year. Um, I thought he brought a lot of like nice energy, and that's something that stood out on that Lakers team, but he just seemed really, really limited. Um but yeah, I've been really impressed with his preseason. I thought tonight was actually probably his worst game of the preseason. He still did, did a few nice things, but uh, you know the the sort of like strength and, and size limitations going against somebody like James Wiseman, who's, who's a much bigger dude, um, was a little bit of an issue for him. Uh, and I think he had like five fouls tonight. So uh, definitely not his best showing, but overall in the, in the preseason, he, he's been quite good. Um, I think the added strength has really helped him uh, to, to play some center minutes against certain, certain big guys. I think he like held his own against uh, DeAndre Eaton at, at some points. And that's another pretty big guy. So, although he is p- potentially a kidnapping victim at the moment. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, I think uh, I, it's, it's interesting. I think that's center, <laughs> the, the garden center rotations have kind of like done a flip for me. Uh, I wasn't super stoked about some of the guards on on the roster. Like, I didn't really know what to expect from Kendrick Nunn and Lonnie Walker. Um, but I was pretty pumped about, like, the center rotation. I thought Damian Jones and Thomas Bryant, plus whatever minutes AD plays there, like, super deep center rotation. I've kind of gone, gone the other way, where at times I haven't been super impressed with Damian Jones and Thomas Bryant. They've done some good things as well, but uh, some of their limitations have really stuck out to me a whole lot more. Um, so I think Wendy and Gabriel has has a path to getting some minutes. At the very least, I think he's definitely a, a sort of like situational player that can be on the roster where if they want to go sort of smaller and, and faster. Um, I did air quotes. Nobody can actually see this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but if they want to go a, a little bit smaller and, and faster um, instead of, you know, the bigger, bigger guys like, uh, Brian and Damian Jones who can't get up and down the floor as, as quickly as he can, then he's a guy that's a decent option to come in and, and still, you know, not lose a whole lot of edge on like the glass uh, and, and potentially have a little bit of rim protection there. Um, 
so yeah, I, I think you're right that he's probably secured his position on the roster because at the very least, he's a guy that you can throw out there to change some stuff up in certain game situations. Uh, one, there's not going to be any Thomas Bryant slander on this <laughs> podcast. Uh, who's your legend, Thomas Bryant? The go-to guy down the stretch for the Hoosier, or for well for the Hoosiers and for the Lakers uh, in their win on Sunday. Whoa, 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 whoa. We're not disrespecting Matt Ryan like this. The go-to guy. Well, uh, <laughs> Thomas Bryant got the buckets to seal the win. Uh, I you saw that drive and finish at the rim in late in the fourth quarter. Um, but to to the point about winning Gabriel, I think he is ultimately a fourteenth, fifteenth yeah. man on a NBA roster in general. The problem was last year he was playing as if he was the seventh or eighth man he was playing a much bigger role on a team that was very flawed and i i mean i was impressed with him but also his limitations were very visible now as a 14th or 15th man as you said you can bring him in uh to play smaller or faster with air quotes uh or just as an (laughs) energy guy if it's a, a a game where you're struggling and yeah. Uh, you're kind of lethargic, lackadaisical, whatever it is, you throw him in there, he grabs some rebounds, knocks some guys around, picks up the energy, then gives you a little bit of a spark. And that's what you w- typically want from your guys at the end of the bench. Uh, so I, I think that role suits him really well. And like I said, I think he's probably played himself into a roster spot. It'll be a bigger challenge for him to kind of uh, seal that roster spot as a non-guaranteed guy. But I mean... We'll see how it goes. He he's played well this preseason, and we'll see if he can continue that. Any other kind of takeaways, notes, or whatever from Sunday's game, preseason in general, whatever it may be. Uh, but, uh two things. One, one, I'll add one more note on on Gabriel. I think it's very clear that the coaching staff is really interested in him. You can kind of tell based off of how the, like the minutes that they're playing guys like Damian Jones and Thomas Bryant. I don't think. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think Thomas Ryan got on the floor until the fourth quarter. And then I think he ended up playing the entire fourth quarter. Um, so I think they really wanted to see what, what Gabriel could do against the Warriors starters, which is pretty interesting. Um, and then, uh, yeah, in terms of other notes, I think the only other guy that really stuck out, um, again, other than the the greatest shooter of all time, Matt Ryan, uh, we don't really need to talk about him because everybody saw it with their own eyes. Uh, but... Uh, uh, Juan Toscano Anderson, uh, really impressed with his passing today. Uh, he only ended up with two assists, but he had uh, a couple of really nice possessions. One that impressed me was the lob to AD the, uh, off of a pick and roll. Perfect placement, just uh, perfect timing. It's not, not an easy pass to make. Um, and then he had another one where he had like a really nice baseline drive, and he had AD in the corner. Uh, and kind of like disguised his pass instead and kicked it out to the top of the gi. I think it was uh, maybe Lonnie Walker. I'm not sure. Uh, ended up not not making the shot, but it was a really, really nice play. Um, I think we've kind of heard of, of JTA being a, a decent playmaker and like having that ability, but hasn't really like shown it consistently yet. Um, so it was kind of nice to actually see it come to fruition in a, in a game. Also, super active dude. Uh, I don't know like how good he is yet, but he, he's very energetic. He, he kind of gets his, gets involved everywhere. Um, and I think he, he has some value in that respect at the very least. 
Yeah, I did not have JTA lob pass to Anthony Davis uh, down as a play I expected to see really probably at any point this season, uh, especially out of a pick and roll. So that was fun. Kind of on the uh, flip side, uh, this has been a rough preseason for Max Christie, I think. Uh, he, I, I tweeted that he had a couple uh, makes, but... I think Andy Kamenetsky said it best. He tweeted, Max Christie plays with so much, holy hell, I'm 19 and in a real NBA game with the Lakers energy, uh, which feels about right with how he how he's played through these uh, four games. I, I don't think it's necessarily a surprise or, or anything bad. I think everybody was pretty aware that he was a year or two away from being a contributor. But, uh, it, I mean, another guy, though, uh interestingly the type of positions that they put him in he's played like noteworthy minutes with with rotation guys I mean he started again on Sunday so um they're trying to give him those minutes but I I think it's pretty clear he's going to be spending a good chunk of time at least early in the season in South Bay so a win a fun game uh but that was not (laughs) the biggest news of the weekend because out of nowhere uh, Rob Polinka extension was announced over the weekend. Let's talk about it because it is a, uh, a very interesting one and a surprise. We'll do that here in just a minute. So on Saturday night, uh, you thought a Friday news dump was impressive. A Saturday news dump, uh, is another level as it comes out through Chris Haynes first, I believe, of Yahoo Sports, that the Lakers and Rob Palinka, uh had agreed to a contract extension through 2026. And as more information came out, it became, uh, I believe, Dave McMiniman was next in saying that this deal was reached back when Darvin Ham was hired at the beginning of the offseason. And just nobody found out about it. The kind of rationale, the logic behind it would be that um, if Palinka is going to be negotiating for a pretty noteworthy trade with Russ, the idea was that other GMs would basically hold his feet over the fire and say, hey, your job's on the line if you don't get this. And so they signed him to this extension through 2025-26 so that he has at least some leverage in these trade negotiations to say, I'm going to be here past this rust rust, uh, contract and allow him to negotiate with a little more leverage. That's my take on it. What were your thoughts on when you found out about this extension? Um, I was a bit surprised initially um, just because everybody was. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think it's it's reasonable based off of how last season went, and um, I you know I, I try to look at both sides or all sides of of these sort of topics and try to be as nuanced as I can. But you know, last the 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 team that the Lakers built last season, I think, would be a, a fireable offense for most front offices. Um, and there, there are excuses to be made for Polenka, and that is specifically that he seemingly wanted uh, whatever trade there was with the Kings to get Buddy Hield, and that almost went through until LeBron and AD pressured him to get Russ instead, and and he ultimately made that decision. Um, 
I understand that as, as a reasoning. You don't want to be the, the, the person to say no to LeBron James. But also, if you are the vice president of the Los Angeles Lakers, I think at a certain point you have to have the 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 cojones uh, to to uh, to say you know no I'm gonna I'm gonna make the trade that I think is, is the best. Um, in addition to that, I think you know uh, what they gave up for us, specifically giving up a first round pick that seems like might have been an overpay. Um, Losing a, uh, some valuable role players in that trade, losing Alex Caruso, which I don't really hold against Polinka so much as I hold against uh, ownership, um, but still important. Um, and then the the you know the roster that they built around their their three stars with you know aging veterans and um, skill sets that that didn't always uh, uh, line up with with the guys that they have. So. I think last season was was a disaster in every way from the front office. And because of that, I don't have a, a ton of faith in Rapalenka. But I also think that people that are uh, just so completely dialed in on that offseason um, and, and sort of this sort of dislike of Rapalenka, which isn't unfounded in a lot of ways, but uh, it, it becomes a little too clouded. And people forget the fact that he built a title-winning team. Um, and, you know, again, the the sort of the same way you can make excuses for that and say he got lucky, he lucked into it. LeBron James didn't come to L.A. because of Palenka. Uh, he came from Magic Johnson, and then they got AD because of LeBron. Um, but ultimately, he was the guy that, that made that trade. He was the guy that brought in some of those uh, role players that, Frankly, a lot of people looked at that team and said that that isn't a very good team, and they they made fun of a lot of those Lakers decisions, and they ended up making uh, you know the finals and winning winning the NBA championship. Um, the next season, uh, finally enough, he kind of tore down that team and and rebuilt it from scratch. And I would say the majority of fans and experts, both Lakers fans, NBA fans, and and sort of experts around around the league, I think thought that that was a great offseason and they ended up not making a pass the first round because of injuries. And that's kind of how it goes. So I think Palenka doesn't always get the credit for the good things that he does um, and gets a, a whole lot of the, the share of the blame pie when things don't go well. Um, and I have an issue with that specifically, even though I'm not super confident on, on Palenka or defending all of his uh, decision making at all. Um, as far as the extension goes after, you know, sort of thinking through that entire process and then, uh, realizing or reading about the fact that it basically is lined up with the same year that Darvin Ham's contract runs out. Um, and it would be, I think probably two or three years after LeBron is, is gone, uh, either from the Lakers or, or retired officially. So it kind of gives them a couple of years of rebuilding around Anthony Davis, uh, in post and post LeBron world. Uh, it made sense to me. I, I don't really have an issue with extending him. Um, if he doesn't do a good enough job, uh, then it's on ownership to just fire him and not be cheap and say, hey, he has this many years left on his contract. We can't we can't fire him. Um, so if that happens, then then that happens. I, I, it doesn't really matter to me that he got an extension, basically. It really only matters to Genie Buss's checkbook, and that is the 
thing I care the least about in the world. <laughs> uh, I, you made a lot of points that I agree with. I think there is some, I think there's a lot of revisionist history about what he did in the 2019-20 and uh, the ensuing offseason. He built a title team, uh, whether it was I, – I just don't think you can write that off like easily in any way. He built a title team. Like He nailed every move that season. Uh, he had a very clear plan B after they did not land Kawhi. Uh, they made all the right moves throughout the season. And they nailed that, and they won a title. And I, you can't just say except for the title because he won a title barely two years ago. It might not even been two years ago. I don't remember when the final final games of that bubble was, but it was in October of 2020. They won the NBA title. So I mean, I, I think you can't simply say except for that October 11th. So tomorrow, as you're listening to this, was two years ago that they won a title. Um, I, and similarly to what you said, if you take, I mean, Christian and I did the podcast after free agency, kind of the initial reactions to free agency after they won the title and we thought they hit a home run. I think everybody thought they hit a home run. They, I thought that they, everything they did was excellent. And for a good chunk of that season, they were the best team in the NBA or at the very least in the conversation, and then injuries decimated them. They paid the bubble tax, whatever it was. They were absolutely decimated by injuries. They ended the James Harden Rockets era, which was probably the high point of that season. LeBron, Specifically, I always point to it, the three-pointer LeBron hit where he turned around and stared at the bench. I think everything that season was downhill after that, but... All of that happened. Now, that was about a year and a half of work that was excellent. And then a year and a half of work that has been really, really, really bad. Um, You can make excuses with it being LeBron and Clutch who wanted Russ or whatever it may be, as you said. Um, Ultimately, the good happened and the bad happened. Where you fall on it is... uh, I I mean he's a very divisive figure to say the least. Um and it the timing of it is interesting just in a sense of it coming off that season. Like I said in the post I wrote, I, this was not any kind of reward for like a good season or anything. This is his second extension. He got one after the bubble. That was a reward for winning a title. This is not that this is different circumstances. His contract, he signed a five-year deal in 2017. He signed an extension, an undeclosed amount of years. My guess, based on the timing of stuff, is it might have been a two-year deal, which would put it until 2024. You're kind of coming up on the final year of that. I, I would imagine it's a, it was a couple of two-year extensions that he's agreed to to take him to 2026. All that is pure speculation. Um, But if you want to look at this offseason, the two most important moves of the Lakers offseason were hiring Darvin Ham, who, again, I think everybody thought was the best candidate to hire, and they got it right, and signing LeBron James to an extension, which they did. So 
he got two, two the two biggest moves done this offseason. Again, I don't really know where I fall on how I feel about this. Um, there's some good to it. There's some bad to it. I think, as you said, uh, he takes a lot of blame. He doesn't get a lot of credit. Uh, I think it's too easily written off that, oh, well, LeBron wanted to come here and then Clutch wanted him here. Clutch wanted him here when Magic Johnson was in charge, and it was an absolute mess to keep it PG, trying to trade for him. So, there, I mean, there was something to Rob Palenka being the one in charge and getting that deal done and then building that title team. So I, I think in general, there's a lot of, except for LeBron coming here and except for trading for AD and after the title that I think you write off, to, I think people in general write off that too much. So again, interesting timing to say the least. I, I'm, well, maybe I'm not surprised that they didn't announce it when they hired him because uh, they probably wanted just all the good news then. And I think they could have predicted this reaction uh, from the fans then. So maybe I'm not surprised it never came out. Um, maybe he should have held it until Monday when the Lakers were coming off a win. For, for whatever it's worth, I think Sam Amick also reported that the extension actually got done even before they they hired Darvin Ham. So who knows exactly what the timing was. Um I think the the main concern that I would have, and I'm sure a lot of uh, fans have this as well, is sort of what Palenka's relationship to with ownership is beyond yeah. the actual, uh, you know, the role that he serves. Um, the fact that he's friends with Genie Bus, um, and the fact that the Lakers have always really, um, but especially under Genie Bus, I feel like been sort of this like very closed circle. Um, to use the nepotism word, um, you know, it's, it's Polenka, uh, as somebody that has had a relationship with the Lakers through Kobe, especially, uh, for the longest time. And he immediately gets hired. I don't even know if they, uh, interviewed anybody else before they hired him. I'm not, uh, I don't quite remember that. Um, and then there's, you know, the, whatever power that, that Kurt and Linda Rambis have power influence, um, and then the the younger bus brothers Jesse and Joey, um, who by all accounts are, are very good at their jobs, but still, you know, this this sort of like family family style business is something that is frankly concerning. Um, and it, again, it goes back to my point of the extension really doesn't matter if uh, if you're willing to fire the guy if he doesn't perform at his job. The question is, are you willing to fire the guy if he doesn't? do a good job um and i don't fault anybody for for having concerns about that because i do personally have some concerns about that as well um both from the financial aspect of it and like the personal relationship aspect of it um that would be sort of my main uh worry for lack of a better term in, in the back of my mind about this extension because other than that i i really don't have a a, a strong take on it uh, other than i think polenka's done some good things i think he's done some bad things i think he is a very uh risky general manager which i don't necessarily dislike i think in sports you got to take risks um and in a lot of instances it has worked for him and in some it has not um 
And, uh, yeah, that's, that's mainly, I, you know, I, I just, I, I, I don't sit and think, man, Rapalenka is the worst GM in the league. They should fire him immediately. I, I, I just think he, he's done some good things. He's done some bad things. Um, I'm willing to see how he, uh, how he gets out of this sort of rust situation if he does um, and, and see how the season goes and, and possibly after that. And then, you know, to have this now flexibility of, of possibly having a completely new regime once his deal is out uh, with a new GM and a new coach if things don't work out around that time. Um, so all of that, I, th- I think, makes perfect sense to me. Uh, it's also inter- it's interesting the... I guess it, it explains the patience the Lakers worked with with the Russ situation this offseason as well, which would it have been there if Palinka knew he had only a couple years left on his deal? I'm not certain. I'm not saying that it, it specifically led to that, but knowing you have four more years left on your deal probably takes away some of the desperation in making a trade. And so I it could explain the patience that surprised a lot of people that the Lakers had uh, throughout this off season. But yeah, ultimately I think Palinka is a very bang average GM, uh, but kind of if we're doing stock up, stock down, his stock's way down right now. Uh, it, it averages out to somewhere in the middle based off winning a title. But I mean, the Lakers were also a, a what would have been a lottery team last year as well. So uh, it's certainly, <laughs> again, it's just a, some interesting timing. I can understand some of the reaction to that coming off one of the least fun seasons I can ever remember the Lakers having. Uh, if you just said, if you would have told me on, I don't remember specifically when the season ended last year, if you'd have told me at the start of May that Rob Palinka got an extension, I might have I would have had a lot stronger feelings about it and uh and it wouldn't I I think I would have been joined by most Lakers fans. The season ended on April 10th. So if you told me at exit interviews April 11th that Rob Polinka was going to get an extension, I would have had a lot of strong feelings on it. Uh they gave and that's almost certainly why the they sat on the news as long as they did. Uh It'll be interesting. Like you said, I'm interested to see how he navigates out of this situation. And it's one, it's a situation that's growing in intrigue, as we talked about at the beginning of the podcast. So Lakers have a couple more preseason games to wrap up their slate. They have six preseason games, always wild. Uh, They play on Wednesday and then on Friday. By the time we talk again, the preseason will be done. They'll be nearing the start of the regular season. So we will be back next week to talk about the how the preseason went, give a little bit of a preview ahead of a, the actual first regular season game. So until then, make sure you guys subscribe to uh, the Silver Screen and Podcast Network. We'll have coverage of all those games uh, this week, uh, both on the site and on the podcast network. So as always, thank you guys for listening. And for Hani, this is Jacob signing off. Have a great one.